run in the high Take a walk on the weird side It goes bump in the night Take a walk on the weird side They can't trust the living They can't kill the dead They can't stop the voices inside the head They can't run They can't hide Take a walk on the weird side Well, welcome back, weirdos Welcome back, everybody As always, I'm Hannah And I'm Taylor And together we are Weird Weird Side Podcast. Podcast. Sorry we've been gone a little while. We've discussed it in our previous episodes, but it has been a very, very rough, I'd say, past month or so for us. And we have had to dedicate our time to dealing with other things going on in our personal lives. So we do appreciate the understanding in that. Today's episode is another horror film review, and I personally am very excited about it because we will be reviewing Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2. Evil Dead is my second favorite scary movie of all time, and Taylor actually prefers the sequel over the original. Because it is better? But in my opinion, they're both awesome. They're both very different, but they're both awesome. But before we get into today's topic, we like to give our usual announcements and shout-outs. We don't really have too many things to announce, partly because, well, mainly because we have just been too consumed with dealing with our own personal issues at the moment. Side note, if anybody hears any heavy breathing, it is our new fur baby, Gizmo. He is very heavy breather, so if anybody ever hears that in the background, that is what that is. Yes. So for our announcements, that's actually one thing we were going to talk about. Before we talk about ourselves, though, an update that I wanted to give concerning a previous shout-out that we had discussed earlier announcement. The co-worker of mine whose father was diagnosed with lung cancer, he unfortunately has suddenly passed away. It has been very difficult, I can only imagine. And our thoughts and prayers go out to her. He passed very suddenly, and it was not expected at all. And to me, those always seem like the worst kinds of deaths because death is no easy thing to work through. But if you have a heads up about it, it can make it a little bit, not easier, but you can have a heads up about it and prepare yourself. But when things happen abruptly, you don't have any kind of preparation for it at all. And it's, in my opinion, I think it's a lot harder. So... Please pray for this co-worker of mine. Our thoughts and prayers go out to her during this very difficult time. The other announcement that I wanted to talk about pertains to your weird side host, but the same week that my co-worker's father suddenly passed away, we also had a loss in our family. Our fur baby, Reese, of nine years, suddenly passed away as well. As we discussed in previous episodes, Reese was diagnosed with a mass on his lung, and we were given six months left to live with him. However, he died one month later to the day of when we got the diagnosis, and he also passed very abruptly. It was very, very hard, one of the hardest things I've ever had to do, mm-hmm. and pet owners understand this. They know how hard it is, but when you have such a strong attachment to a fur baby, and they've been a part of your life for a third of your life, it's really, really hard to let go and say mm-hmm. goodbye. Yep. But we didn't want him to suffer, though, so we know that we made the right decision But we've still been working through his loss, although I would say, truthfully, it does get a tiny bit easier as time goes. It's still hard, but instead of my grief being constant now, it does come in waves. So at least it's not constant. 
But I do constantly get reminders of Reese, and our home is definitely not the same without him. Yeah, definitely not. He's just, he made everybody's day so much better, and it just doesn't feel the same without him here. It really doesn't. But having said that, Reese was my dream dog, and I got to have him. So after Reese passed away, Taylor and I were talking, and I was pretty much just like, you know, I've had my dream dog, and I'm not ready to get another boxer yet because boxers are my breed. But Taylor has always wanted a French bulldog. So I thought, you know, since I've had my dream dog, maybe it's time that you have your dream dog. But rescuing is very important to us, and we're not trying to bash people who pay for breeders. But we personally are a rescue family, regardless if you know, like I said earlier, I love boxers. That's my breed. But with time and consistency, you can find breeds, full breeds, or close to it that you can rescue. And turns out the same thing happened with French Bulldogs. And that really was a godsend because French Bulldogs are a very, very high dollar breed. A lot of French Bulldogs are not in rescues because they're such a high breed dog. Mm -hmm. But Taylor, truthfully, have and I have been looking on and off for the past two years for a full-blooded Frenchie. And I just can't believe how it happened. It was definitely a godsend. But Fast forward to the day, I said, well, you know, let's look and just see if there's a Frenchie available for rescue. And for the first time in two years, there he was. Our gizmo. Good old gizmo. Sitting at my feet right now. (laughs) I think a lot of people think, like, adopting a dog is like shopping at Goodwill. Like, it's, like, below them. But you know what? Both of them are amazing because rescuing a dog has really been uh, fulfilling. Especially when we uh, rescued Rudy. Yeah, our Rudy Booty. Turned his life around, and now we've rescued Yismo. And just like shopping at Goodwill, you can find some amazing deals. Y- yes. That boy is passed out at your feet right now. Mommy done wore him out this morning. He was, he, he was, he was chewing on my finger a second. <laughs> Probably with the... <laughs> Gizmo came from Crisis Dogs NC Rescue, which, by the way, I highly, highly recommend that rescue group if you were looking to rescue a fur baby. And yes, even if you're looking for a particular breed, they have been amazing to work with. And we absolutely enjoyed working with them. They were so nice, very prompt in response. And they do wonderful things for these babies. I mean, they are angels. Some of Gizmo's story, he was originally named Bart. But he was found in Raleigh, North Carolina, outside, locked in a crate at the end of a dead-end road, left to die, essentially. And here's the thing, you guys. If if you get a fur baby and you just decide that you don't want it anymore or can't take care of it, I mean, you're going to get critiqued in, in that regard itself. But just stepping aside from that for a minute, please, please, please do not leave your animal left to die. That is the most cruel thing that you could possibly do to an innocent creature. If you can't care for your animal anymore, please Find somebody to take it in that you know and trust. And if that's even too much, drop him or her off at a local animal shelter. At least then, if it is a kill shelter, which does make me sad, but even if it is a kill shelter, they can put the animal down in a humane way. Not just left to die and suffer. Anyway, Gizmo is around two years old and he has one eye. When he was found, he was severe. Severely malnourished. You could see almost every bone in his body. And he had glaucoma in his left eye really bad, which is why he had to have it removed. 
He is too, but he is a little bit behind developmentally, and that's because of his traumatic past, but he is such a sweet and loving boy, and he's already brought so much joy to this house. And yes, he's been some work, but he just, oh, he's just so precious. So getting into our usual shout outs now, we'd like to give a shout out to the one and only Derek Nowlin from Steak and Sauce Podcast. Whoop, 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 whoop. Derek hosts his own podcast that is about life, funny stories, advice. It is awesome. It's hilarious. And I love when he debates with Antonio. Mm-hmm. Gosh, that shit's hilarious. And we're about to be uh, go back on his show yes, next guys. week, actually. We, yes, we have a potential date picked out to go back on the show, which, by the way, the first time we did that, that was such an honor, but it was so much fun. I mean, I feel like he put us to shame. I mean, it, it's so professional. Oh, yeah, he's got a professional so, yeah, studio. It's, it's good. And we're still in our basement. We're probably going to stay in our basement, but you know what? Like he told us, hey, at least you're getting it up and going. It smells like Gizmo passed gas just now. He's <laughs> gassy, just like his father is. Yes. <laughs> Our next shout out we want to give to is my best friend Meredith for designing Weird Side's logo and Logan for doing his version of Meredith's design. His logo is the one that we use for our uploads, but we still use Meredith's logo for our icon on our YouTube channel. Recently, one of Taylor's co-workers, his wife, actually made Taylor and I Weird Side shirts. We posted that on our Facebook page so you guys can see. We absolutely love them. They are very well done. I love them. She did them exactly as how I wanted to. Now, Taylor and I are no graphic designers or anything like that, but the way that I had it set in my mind, she did it almost identically to how I said and how I wanted it. So, huge shout out to her. If anyone is interested in the future and having a weird side shirt, please let us know. And our last shout out goes to my good friend Icarus Unholy for writing our banger of a theme song. Oh, it's 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 better than a banger. I mean, it's just <sighs> You guys should really check out his other stuff yeah. because he is a very talented musician and, and handsome. And very handsome, and I love his stuff. It's just awesome. We'll post the link to his YouTube page so you can check him out. And also the information for our other peeps who helped us out on our podcast so you can check their stuff out as well. And without further ado, getting into today's topic, Evil Dead 1981 and Evil Dead 2 1987. Now, we've already established from our previous episodes that Jeepers Creepers is my favorite horror movie of all time. But there's also another horror movie that also competes with Jeepers Creepers as far as it being my favorite. And that is the original Evil Dead. Evil Dead 2 is better. (laughs) We'll get to Evil Dead 2. But we'll have to start out with the first film to establish the origins of Evil Dead and the franchise. Evil Dead came out in 1981. Sam Raimi directed Evil Dead and he was 20 years old when this film was made. That just blew my mind when I found that out. And I actually originally discovered that from Bruce Campbell's biography book. I just think about what I did at 20 years old, and it definitely was not making a movie. I just w- I also would like to point out that 1981 was one hell of a year for horror movies. Oh, yeah. You had American Werewolf in London. You had The Howling. Mm-hmm. You had Wolfing. You had this movie. And I feel like I'm missing another one that was really big. Oh, there's all kinds of bangers from the 80s. No, but specifically 1981. That year was just like... And maybe don't get mad. When I read Bruce Campbell's biography and he was showing me pictures of Sam Raimi and him when they were making Evil Dead, I thought Sam Raimi was pretty cute. Icarus on Holy's cuter. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's pretty cute. <laughs> what hottie. <laughs> Evil Dead was released on April 15th, 1983. There was a local theater sh- viewing before it actually came out on October 15th, 1987 at a Redford Theater in, I believe, Michigan, which is where they were from. I point this out because of two reasons. Number one, the date that the film had a, its original local theater viewing was the day that we got married, October 15th. Ooh. And the name of the theater was called Redford, R-E-D-F-O-R-D Theater. Taylor and I got married at Radford, R-A-D-F-O-R-D Theater. Coincidence? I, I think, think not. not. I thought that was cool. Evil Dead had a budget of $350,000, which was considered low budget, even though that's a crap ton of money. That is very low budget. But it grossed in the United States and Canada $2,400,000, and its gross worldwide was $2,895,379. So, it did make some money. They almost did 10 times what they put into the budget. Almost. Yeah, that's... and Oh, just, oh it's a masterpiece. Anyway, Evil Dead was filmed in Marshall, Michigan, Detroit, Michigan, Morristown, Tennessee, and Knoxville, Tennessee. Tennessee is where we see the infamous Evil Dead cabin. Body count in this one, I counted four, which you might think, well, that's a low body count. Can it really be that good? Uh, yeah, it can be that good. (laughs) IMDb gave it an overall rating of 7.4 out of 10, which is, in my opinion, average. Yeah, if I'm, no, above average. Average. On IMDb, if something's rated between a five and a six, that's an average. If it's anything higher or lower. It's good. Yes, good or bad. But Evil Dead, since it's above the average for IMDb, it is rated good. Good. Some general facts about Evil Dead. Bruce Campbell, Sam Raimi, and Ted Raimi, which was Sam Raimi's brother, were all pretty good friends, and they band together to make this film. They loved, I read in Bruce Campbell's biography, they loved to work on making short films at home. And it seemed like Sam Raimi was always especially really into directing. And I thought that was really cool that some friends from childhood have always had a passion for this. And then it turns out they made one of the most infamous horror movies of all time. That's pretty cool. Which, speaking of, many horror fans agree that this is one of the best horror films of all time. I would agree with that statement. Right. Now, is it perfect? No. But is it infamous in horror history? Yes. Yes. Evil Dead has had such a large cult following and fan base that there was a documentary that came out about Evil Dead fans. It's called Hail to the Deadites, and you can see that on Shudder. In 2003, the Evil Dead musical came out, which I would love to see There's a musical? That. Yes, there was a musical. I don't think it's still running, but damn, I would have The loved fact it. that there... Well... I'm not really surprised. I mean, they, they make mu- musicals, musicals out, out of everything. everything. So, yeah, yeah, I can, I can. Can you that, imagine that? That would be awesome. <laughs> if anyone has seen Evil Dead the Musical, please let us know how you liked it. <laughs> Gotta run from the deadites, the deadites, the deadites. <laughs> In 2015, a TV series came out called Ash vs. Evil Dead. And I'm going to be honest, I tried to give this one a chance. But as much as I love Evil Dead, I could not get into Ash versus Evil Dead. I think because even though the Deadites are very creepy and, you know, it's classic Evil Dead in a lot of ways, in other ways, it seemed to me like, again, just too much action. And you know me, I can't get into straight up action very well. 
That's why I don't really get into Walking Dead. The makeup effects in The Walking Dead are phenomenal. The zombies are awesome. But I can't get into it because it's just too much action for me. And I think it's the same way with Ash vs. Evil Dead. Did you ever watch it? I have not. I don't watch, I don't watch Walking Dead either. So Yeah. Many Evil Dead video games were released following the film, with the first game being released on the Commodore 64 in 1984. Did AVGN do a review of this, by the way? He did, actually, in his Commodore uh, 64 episode. He actually goes over the game. Uh, pretty much anything that was popular in the 80s, early 80s, is pretty much a game on the Commodore 64. And I'll have to show it to you later, but it's you definitely have to use your imagination. Mm-hmm. But, I, it, I mean, he, it's kind of cool that the game exists, though. I know, because I think, remember when you made me watch the whole entire AVGN series? I believe we watched, I remember that nope. video, I think. I was wrong, actually. It is not on that episode. It's actually on the episode where he does the review of Freddy and Jason on the Commodore, and he starts doing, like, other horror games that was on the Commodore. I, yeah, I do and he does go over Evil Dead. Yeah, because it was like a little tiny chainsaw thing, but, you know, it's it's pitiful looking. I mean, it was 19, what, 84? I love how, in, uh, you probably don't remember, but the, uh, in the movie, there's that, the, uh, porch swing mm-hmm. well they put the porch swing in the commodore game see i don't remember that yeah they did what's avgn's actual name uh james rolfe james rolfe rolfe well shout out to james rolfe for making these awesome video game reviews i don't even game but i love i loved watching the show gonna take you back to gonna the take you back to the past Recently, Ash was added as a character for Dead by Daylight, which is Taylor's favorite current game. I love playing Dead by Daylight. And plus, Ash is one of my favorite players to play as. Tell us about Ash's perks on the game. Um, He's got... I only use one of them, and it's called Flip Flop. But <laughs> I don't know I don't know why it's called that. But basically, if a killer takes a long time picking you up to put you on the hook, it cuts your time in half to basically wiggle off. And uh, get away from the killer. Mm-hmm. I do that. And Ash has some of the best skins in the game. Especially where his arm gets... His, he doesn't have a... Uh, is it his left or his right arm? Mm-hmm. I can't remember. They, Man, put an evil, they put an evil puppet on his hand. The sawed-off hand? Yeah, the sawed-off hand. Uh, you can put an evil puppet that's an evil version of Ash. I love that. That's, I don't know if that, that was cool. Unfortunately, there's no deadites in the game or an Evil Dead level. But background. Yeah, I was going to say that not, would be freaking awesome But there is, awesome there is ashes in the game. So. Ooh, gizmo booted again and it stinks. <laughs> in 2021, a band named Ice Nine Kills, which is, by the way, an awesome band. They are a rock group and they, do, they write songs about horror films. Anyway, Ice Nine Kills did a song about Evil Dead called Ex Mortis. I have not personally heard it. But we do like the Crow song. Probably the best out of all the ones Love that song. We need to check that one out. Evil Dead is included in the list of 1,001 movies that you must see before you die. It is recognized as one of the most successful cult film series in history. A 20-something minute short film of the Evil Dead was done called Within the Woods. And this film was done, I believe, so they could get investors for the Evil Dead, so they can get money for it and people investing in it. And this worked. You can find it on YouTube, by the way, as well. Bruce Campbell was so dedicated to getting the Evil Dead made that he even placed his family's property in Michigan as collateral. Wow. Like, they, I think at some point, too, they even would, like, call, like, 
I can't remember what kinds of people, but they would even make phone calls to like anybody they could think of to pitch the movie and, and get investors. But their hard work paid off because they did get the money for it. And again, it's one of the most iconic horror films in history. This film is very gory. They use caro syrup, non-dairy creamer, and red food coloring to make the blood. And there are also scenes in the film where they even have black blood and white blood. The white blood was supposedly just 2% milk. <laughs> and the black and white blood were created to avoid an X rating. This did work as the film was released as unrated. Campbell was saturated in so much fake blood during filming that at one point, his character's shirt cracked and broke when he tried to put it back on. <laughs> so, like, again, this is a movie that was considered low budget, so they had to, you know, work with what they could. Kind of like, you know, in Halloween, John Carpenter, you told me that they had to pick up all the leaves and reuse them for scenes. Yeah, they couldn't afford more. They had a box of leaves, and they would spread them out, and then they would pick up the leaves and put them back in the box. I think it was kind of similar in this regard as far as, like, costumes. So, I think Ash may have had to wear the same shirt over and over again. And it got so saturated that whenever he would set it by the fire to dry, it just, it would harden and it cracked. Wow. So, I guess they had to spend some money to replace his shirt. (laughs) There were many injuries during filming of this movie. And we see many of those injuries on Bruce Campbell and a lot of those injuries that you see on him are not makeup he was injured many times during shooting including reportedly getting teeth knocked out a severely injured ankle and numerous lacerations and bruising damn he goes hard hardcore this movie was one of the highest rated video rentals of the year that it came out so now that we've got some fun facts established for the film overall we'll go ahead and start in diving into the plot A group of five friends slash Michigan State University students are traveling to a cabin in Tennessee. I believe it was to research material for a book. I believe they were traveling pertaining to school. Does anyone really care why they're going out there? I guess not really. I mean, look, they're my idea. Why the hell are they going out in the middle of the woods? It's a scary movie. Okay, they're just going there for the shits and giggles. I mean, maybe hardcore fans are like, well, why did they decide to go out here? And you know how hardcore fanatics can be. I mean, teenagers do stupid stuff all the time. That's true. So. You really need an explanation. You really You'd just be like, hey, dude, I saw this cabin in the woods. We should totally stay up there because it's creepy. <laughs> Which I guess is kind of what it was in this movie. Mm-hmm. Before the camera pans onto the group of friends, we see the camera creeping through the woods at odd and inhuman angles. It's very, very creepy. And the, I will always emphasize the score of a horror film to add to how scary it really is. But we just, as we see this camera creeping around at odd angles, we just hear the. It just, it's so. I thought creepy. you were talking about while well, I they're doing like that camera that's like flying through the woods. Like, yeah, we're not there yet. Oh, we're still at the very probably first two okay, minutes bad, of the movie. Bad, 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 bad. <laughs> at one point, the camera hovers across a pond. And this scene was apparently done by Bruce Campbell pushing Sam Raimi on a dinghy, which is some kind of boat, I think. And then during other scenes where the demons run through the woods, this was filmed by attaching the camera to a wooden board and having two people hold the board on each side while running. And you can, knowing this now, it's just, if you were to watch this film and not know that, it just... Well, for me, anyway, it immediately struck me as, oh, this is creepy. But then you figure out how that was filmed, and you're like, oh, I can see that now. 
But yeah, like Taylor said, as we progress into the movie, we'll see more scenes at these odd and inhuman angles. But this time we'll hear a demon roar with it. And it sounds like a lawnmower, basically. And I actually, I think that is how they got the, the sound really? effect for it. I always thought it was like a guttural roll. Yeah, that's, yeah it's, it's something creepy. Very, very creepy. There is one scene where the group of friends pass two hitchhikers on the side of the road, and one of these men is Sam Raimi. <laughs> is it really a cult movie if they don't put themselves in it? That's what I'm saying. Exactly. The car that the friends are traveling in is reportedly a 1973 Oldsmobile Delta 88 Holiday Sedan, which I don't have a freaking clue about cars, but that's apparently what it is because the car is iconic. And it was said to be Sam Raimi's personal car. <laughs> and that doesn't shock me considering it was a low-budget film. No, that doesn't surprise me at all. The friends settle into the cabin, though, with some hesitation due to its creepiness, such as the swing moving on its own, the fog in the cabin, and the taxidermy animals everywhere. They pretty much travel, like, way deep into the woods in this little-ass shack. Well, it's a cabin, but it's like a shack. And then you got a porch swing moving on its own. You finally get in, and it's dark and smoky and dead animals everywhere it's just very creepy apparently the some of the smoke that we see in this shot is not from a fog machine apparently it's from someone blowing cigarette smoke really yeah isn't that cool during the filming this cabin is where all 13 crew members slept the cabin reportedly didn't have plumbing so the actors had to go days without showering the weather was also very cold during the time of filming, and towards the end of the shooting, crew members were throwing furniture in the fire to stay warm. And this winter in particular, of 1981, was known as one of the harshest winters in Tennessee. How ironic, right? The cabin was located in Morristown, Tennessee, and was actually an abandoned cabin. The owner gave the crew members permission to use the cabin for shooting under the condition that they return everything in the cabin back to its original position. Wait, really? Yeah. And they were burning furniture? <laughs> right. I feel like that was the only thing that they didn't do was not obviously replace the furniture because they burned it to stay warm. But other than that, everything else they did, they res- they honored what he wanted besides furniture. Huh. According to Sam Raimi, he felt like the cabin was haunted. I can't really find any kind of documentation or other information as to why he thought that, but he thought it was haunted. Other sources say that the cabin did burn down in real life from it. Other sources say that the cabin did burn down in real life from teenagers being neglectful and accidentally setting it on fire. So this movie comes out, and then people are, "Oh, we should go see the Evil Dead cabin." And then you know how people are—they ruin it for everybody else. Yep, happens all the time. The, yep, all the time. So they destroyed the property, but essentially, that's that's rumored to have been what happened to the cabin. Apparently, the exact address of the cabin is not known due to no one giving it out because of that very reason that we just talked about. So, even if you wanted to go visit the site to this day, you're probably not going to find it. Reportedly, most of the fog in the cabin during the scene, like I said earlier, was cigarette smoke. And we see more scenes throughout the film where there's heavy fog and smoke, but it's, it's actually cigarette smoke. Before dinner, we see Cheryl sitting in her bedroom with a sketch pad. Once they all get settled into the cabin. She looks out her bedroom window and hears a demonic voice taunting, Join us. I can't even do it right. Join us. (laughs) 
her hand suddenly becomes possessed and she forcibly draws a sketch of the Necronomicon, a.k.a. the Egyptian Book of the Dead. Egyptian? Yeah. The Necronomicon's from Egyptian? Yeah. Where'd you think it was from? Well, that just took me for a fucking whirl. I'm pretty sure it's the Egyptian Book of the Dead. You just blew my mind. Wait, did you? Well, I know a little bit about Egyptian, like, Ooh. stuff. So, like, it's weird. The fact that an Egyptian, like, so, Anubis has to do with this book? That's the god of the dead in Egyptian, what's the word I'm looking for? Mythology? Mythology. Yeah. Apparently so. Now, if I'm wrong about it being Egyptian Book of the Dead, please someone fact check me. But from what I could gather in my research, it is the Egyptian Book of the Dead. But you guys should just hear how creepy this scene is and how this demon sounds. Taunting. Ugh. During this scene, we can hear an eerie wind sound effect. Apparently, this was an actual recording of the wind that Sam Raimi himself took during the time at the cabin, I believe. And he himself thought it was so creepy that he did use it in the film. That's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. It's very dedicated. During dinner, the cellar door suddenly flies open out of nowhere. Scott and Ash go downstairs to investigate where they find the Necronomicon, a blade, and an old tape recorder. Can you just imagine eating dinner and all of a sudden your freaking door just flies open out of nowhere? There's no wind outside. There's nothing that could explain why it just flew open at full force. I'd be scared shitless and I'd probably be like, all right, baby, it's time to go. Hell no. Honestly, no, no, no. if me and you were together and we went to a cabin this creepy, honestly, I'd probably say time to go before we even went inside. But if we pulled up, if, if we were staying at a cabin and we pulled up and that was our cabin, it's going to be a hotel. Oh, yeah. And if we didn't leave when we saw the first visual of the cabin, then uh, when the door flew open, that would be the definite cue. Like, oh, no, time you to go. the impression I'm going in that thing. Hell no. The cabin where the movie was filmed at, by the way, did not have a basement in it. So the cellar and basement scenes that we see here are shot in another basement. They, I believe, just cut a a section in the floor and made it seem like it was a basement. But really, that cabin had no basement in it. So all these shots in the basement and cellar are at a different location. And I thought that was mind-blowing because it's so well done that, to me, it just looks like it's part of the cabin. Now, how did they film the scenes with the people in the basement sticking their head out of the cellar door? Well, they either... I think they cut the the hole in the floor to make it look that way. And if, you know, where someone could maybe fit down there and it can look like that. And if not that, then I guess they were done at a different location. Hmm. But I believe that they just used that hole in the floor. Mm-hmm. It was like they made a little space where people could, like, get in there. But as far as it being a full basement... It wasn't the case. Also, the old tape recorder that we see is rumored to actually be Bruce Campbell's father's tape recorder. So there is another item from the movie or prop that the writers and directors, actors and producers have used from their own personal collection. So after this cellar door flies open, Ash and Scott go down to investigate. They come back up with all that stuff. And the group sits in a circle in the cabin living room and play the recordings on the tape recorder. Cheryl gets spooked and turns it off, but Scott turns it back on. And when he does this, they play the incantations that resurrect the demons. Cheryl screams in torment and a tree flies through the living room window. Here's a fun fact. The enchantment, some, some sorrow de es haikar donde rosa. It's supposed to resemble saying Sam and Rob are hitchhikers on the road. 
Samantha Rosa, dal his hiker dance de Rosa, Ganda. Shut it off. Ganda. Shut it off. Ganda. What do you guys think? That's weird. That's really weird. Yeah. Later, Cheryl hears strange noises out in the woods where she goes to investigate. Well, here we go. Lesson 101 in horror movies. You never go investigate anything on your own, but it wouldn't be a movie without that, though. Why don't we go? Why don't we just get in the movie car? (laughs) Are you crazy? Let's go behind the wall of chainsaws. (laughs) I love that commercial. Once she makes it into the woods, Cheryl is raped by the trees, which are possessed by demons. This is the infamous tree rape scene. I also read some information that Sam Raimi later said, years later after Evil Dead, that he does regret having the scene included. But this is integral because this is how Cheryl becomes possessed by the demons. So, thankfully, it's not like real gory or real... It's not gory, it's just fucked up. Yeah. It's not, like, a real intricate... I don't know how to describe it. Like, clearly you can see what's going on, but, like, it's not... What's the word? Like, highly detailed? I think it's as detailed as you can get without actually showing anything. Yeah, that that's actually fair to say. That's a... Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Cheryl escapes right in the nick of time before she's about to be fully attacked by the demon that they have resurrected... Where she turns straight to the cabin and she's distraught. She demands to leave at once, but when Ashley drives her back down to the driveway, they discover that the bridge has been destroyed, leaving them unable to leave the area. (laughs) Funny. Actually, Taylor and I watched this movie earlier this week, and there's a scene when Cheryl comes back and she's like, I want to get out of here right now. Ashley, will you take me into town? Sure, sure, I'll take you into town, but can you listen how you're sounding? I don't care how it sounds. I want to get out of here. So then they go to the car, and then originally the car won't start, and then Cheryl goes, it's not going to let us leave. I know it's not going to start. It won't start. And then it did. I was like, that is so me. I do that stuff all the time, because real life with me, technology never likes to work, and it's always just me. But sometimes if I'm like, it's not going to work, and then it'll work. But if I was by myself, it wouldn't. Anyway, getting back into the movie. Later back at the cabin, Cheryl is sitting in the living room with the others, staring out of the window. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was just brutally attacked and raped by something in the woods, uh, I would not be looking out the window. I wouldn't want anything to do with being out there in general, which she originally didn't, but she got stuck there. But in any case, I wouldn't be looking out no damn window. The other two girls, Shelly and Linda, are playing a card game when Cheryl suddenly begins to call out the cards. Eight of spades, two clubs, jack of diamonds, jack of clubs, ah! Of spades. Queen of spades. Four of hearts. Eight of spades. Two of spades. Jack of diamonds. Jack of clubs. I always thought that was creepy. She turns around to face the group of friends while we see her face begin to turn inhuman. Her eyes are white and she has scratches on her face. She begins to levitate in the air in a demonic voice, stating that every person will die one by one. Why have you disturbed our sleep? Awakened us from our ancient slumber. You will die! 
like the others before you. One by one, we will take you. What do you think of this scene? It's not as good as the second one. <laughs> it's a very scary scene. It is creepy, especially when she starts calling out the, the cards before they even see them. So That is creepy. It's very, very creepy. Space. Maybe I think it is so creepy because I was a kid when I first saw this movie. And a matter of fact, and I even spoke up about this in a I went to a horror con one year and we went to like a meeting where everyone just discussed I can't remember the topic, but it had to do with why horror films are so scary or why people love horror films. And I remember speaking up and talking about my experience with Evil Dead. I was really young when I saw it the first time, but I actually heard the movie before I saw the movie. I remember this was a movie my mom actually, she'd let me watch Sheepers Creepers, <laughs> but in Child's Play and Candyman, but she wouldn't let me watch this one yet. And at the time, we had a big old surround sound system, you know, like those ones back in the 90s, those big old suckers. And I remember my mom watching that movie in the living room after she sent me to bed, and I could hear everything from that movie and I was watching TV in the back room but she had that thing jacked up and all I could hear were the demon voices and the screams and the groans and it just scared the ever-loving shit out of me so maybe that's partially why I think Evil Dead is just so scary personally in this scene Cheryl's eyes are completely white and this is done via eye contacts several other crew members have similar ones in later scenes these contacts were so heavy and painful that they had to be taken out every 15 minutes to allow the eye to breathe. Ouch. Yeah. Someone, I think it was Bruce Campbell, compared it to, like, essentially wearing Tupperware over your eyes. Ew. Like, ow. Sounds very uncomfortable, but it does its job, though, because they look scary as shit. After the speech where Cheryl tells everyone that they will die one by one, Cheryl collapses onto the floor. When the friends come and check on her, get closer to her, Cheryl who is still possessed, suddenly wakes up and stabs Linda in the leg with a pencil. Technically not the leg, it's the side of her ankle. With each attack, Cheryl becomes more and more demonic. Ash and Scott knock Cheryl down in the basement and lock her in, all the while Cheryl screaming, Join us! Join us! Also, with this scene where she stabs Linda in the ankle with that pencil, that is, like, I think one of the most iconic scenes in horror movie history. It's it's a practical effect, obviously, but it just, oh, it'll make you cringe when you see it. If anything, like, that was, when I first watched this movie, that was one of the main things I just remembered about the movie was just how, oh, how brutal that scene was. It was very brutal. It's very gory. With her nerves frayed, Shelly decides to go lay down in the bedroom, but when she does go to do this, she's attacked by a demon through the bedroom window. When she screams out, Scott goes in to investigate where Shelly attacks him, completely possessed. So the demonic force that attacks Cheryl has been lingering around the cabin, and then Shelly, just like Cheryl, starts peeking outside through the window, and then it sees her and comes to the window and attacks her. She's possessed now. Now, I'm just asking in real life if... If it was us, and then I went to go lay down, which we were inseparable, but let's just say I went to go lay down, and then I caught a scream out, and you hear a big crash, would you come to check on me? Yeah. I did it yesterday. 
Oh, yeah, you did. <laughs> I was putting the playpen up. But what would happen if you came in and then all of a sudden I started attacking you and I was a demon? I mean this in the nicest way. What Attacking me in what way? Like, I try to kill you. Do you have a knife? No, but I'm using my hands to try to strangle you and scratch you and penetrate you. Penetrate me? Yeah. That's how you get possessed by a demon. You had to get penetrated in some kind of way. Can we use the word stab, please? Stab, because you're saying penetrate. Me. And I tried to stab you in any kind of way. You're trying to stab me. I mean this in the nicest way possible. You're about to get fucked up. Yeah. You try to choke me, you're getting fucked up. And this is essentially what does happen. So Demonic Shelley fights for several minutes with Ash and Scott, where the fight ultimately leads to Ash and Scott completely dismembering her by chopping her body into bits. Scott and Ash bury her, and when Scott returns, he informs Ash that he is going out for help. Ash warns Scott not to go into the woods, but Scott harshly retorts that he's going to fend for himself, leaving Ash with Linda. That's another question I think I asked you the other day. If I was Linda, and I got attacked, and then I was, you know, passed out in the bedroom... Would you stay with me, or would you try to go get help? Yeah, I mean, one of us is going to have to stay with you, and the other one's going to have to try and get help. Like, that's that's smart. Yeah. Despite the cliche that you should never split open horror movies, Scott is only gone for a short amount of time when he returns injured. He tells Ash that the trees are alive and that they're all going to die. I, I think it means in this scene that he was also raped by the trees, just like Cheryl was. Linda wakes up from her nap, completely possessed by a demon, and fights Ash. Linda always reminded me of a witchy demon due to her high-pitched laugh and whiny voice. <laughs> Apparently, she was supposed to resemble more of like a doll. I can see it. I can see that too. But maybe because of the, the cackle, I just that's where I got the witch reference. I can definitely see it. Ash tries to saw Linda in half with a chainsaw after making Linda stab herself, but he cannot bring himself to do it. Instead, he retorts to just burying her, and after he has her corpse completely covered, she grabs his leg and pulls herself out of the ground. Like, bitch, really? After all that work? She begins to attack Ash again, where ultimately Ash beheads her with a shovel. When Ash carries Linda outside originally, she's in a white nightgown. You'll like this fat baby. This is supposedly done in honor of the Hammer films. Really? Yes. Hmm. And I can see it. Looking back now, when I watch the film and knowing that fact, I can see it. When Ash returns inside the cabin after the altercation with Linda, he discovers a cellar door busted wide open, again, broken off of its hinges. Cheryl is nowhere to be seen. Now, I will never forget in this scene, the first, well, one of the first times I ever watched this movie with Mom. I was so young when I saw this movie, but my mom looked right at me during this scene, and she was like, now I don't know about you, she was like, but if I walked in and I saw that, I might, I would just get that shotgun and blow my head out <laughs> i was like god That's i know i was like damn but i mean if i i mean i don't know like i'd be scared shitless if i walked back inside seeing that ash goes down into the cellar where an old projector turns on all by itself and the screen becomes covered in blood while playing an old song i think it's some i can't remember the name of it exactly but some old charlton song or something like that Mm -hmm. 
Ash goes back upstairs where his senses appear completely heightened. At one point, he holds his hand up to a mirror and pushes his hand through it. After a second, he removes his hand, screaming. At this moment, he sees something fly past the window out of the corner of his eye, where he abruptly turns and shoots out the window. He eventually works his way over to the front door, where he is attacked by a demonic Cheryl through the door. A friend of Bruce Campbell and Sam Raimi advised them both to, quote, keep the blood running on screen. So this scene that we saw in the cellar with the blood coming on the projector screen, that was in honor and tribute to him. While he's fighting off Cheryl, Scott wakes up and is completely possessed by a demon. Now, Scott's appearance as a demon reminds me of a werewolf. And also because when he is attacked, he does this weird kind of howl. And he kind of looks like a werewolf. I don't remember this. No. As Ash is fighting off Scott, Cheryl bursts through the door, and she is, like, full-blown demon at this point. I don't even know. So, like, Linda reminds me of a witchy baby doll demon. Scott reminds me of a werewolf kind of demon. Shelly just reminds me of some ghoulish demon. And Cheryl, she just reminds me of a straight-up demon. I don't know. That's just how I always kind of felt about it. Mm -hmm. But anyway, Ash eventually throws the Necronomicon into the fire where Scott and Cheryl both freeze up and they begin to declay via this incredible claymation sequence. I love this scene in the movie because out of nowhere, you know, everything's done in like real life type of film. And then their dismemberment is completely claymation. And you may think that sounds terrible, but it's actually pretty cool. Claymation's underrated in my opinion. It is. It's such an art. But it, I think it doesn't take away from the scene at all. Yeah, you can look at it and be like, that's really low budget. But, I mean, it, it works. It, it's very time consuming. Very. But it's if done well, it can really make or break a movie. Oh, yeah. And I don't think it broke it. During one scene where Scott's guts come down his sleeve, I always thought that it was like some kind of grits, but it's actually cream corn. <laughs> and it does this... It's really glad. Once Cheryl and Scott are dismembered, Ash goes outside to greet the morning. He made it through the night. Remember a long time ago when we were talking about, again, talking about scores and horror films, and we were talking about how there are rare times where a horror film will have a beautiful sounding score. I think during this scene right here, it's very, very pretty. It's probably because it sounds like they use violins and strings, and it's just got kind of like a optimistic tone to it mm-hmm. like i just feel what the the music is saying it's like this is something really dark and tragic that just happened but there's a light at the end of the tunnel now but suddenly we see the camera pan through the woods with a low demon growl coming straight for ash just as this demon meets ash ash screams like a woman and the screen goes black And that is how Evil Dead ends. I love this movie. Yes, it has its faults. Yes, it's technically low budget. And no, it's not perfect. But, oh, it is so creepy. And this is just a classic example of why I hate CGI so much. This movie, all of it was practical effects. You can tell it's practical effects. And practical effects require, in my opinion, more time and creativity and just what better justice can you do for your work of art than to put all of your dedication into it? This is where you and me are probably going to disagree. 
I think that practical effects and CGI are very similar. Not in the aspect of like what they do. There are just some things that look better when they're done practical, and there are other things that just look better when they're done CGI. If both of them are done well, it can make or break a movie. Both can really like do some really cool stuff, but if both are done wrong, mm-hmm. it also looks awful. I mean, that's fair. And just like everybody's like, well, CGI, CGI, CGI. Well, remember, CGI is still pretty new. I mean, I wouldn't say it's new, but when we were kids, CGI was kind of taken off. It really hadn't like found itself yet until certain movies kind of figured it out. And now you're starting to see better quality CGI. Yeah. Whereas like practical effects started out in the, the 40s and it had years to like develop. And we started seeing good practical effects later on mm-hmm. 60s 70s and especially in this movie they know what they're doing you don't even have to have a good budget to do good mm-hmm. special effects if you know what you're doing yeah See? yeah that's fair i think maybe for me and i guess you can make the same argument for practical effects when i think of cgi and i agree with you like when you look at cg when it first came out and like now like it has advanced tremendously but i think for me it's more of like no matter how high quality and well done it is I still am like, that still looks fake. That still clearly fake. Lion, the Lion King remake looked good. That was all CGI. That I looked... Mean, that was high quality CGI. That was extremely high quality. And I thought it was amazing. I mean, and it was. But I do remember seeing it and I'm like, yeah, I can tell it's fake. That's because you're looking for it. <laughs> oh, is that what it is? That's because you're looking for it. You can do the same thing with practical. You could look at the thing where she stabbed her and goes, that's fake. But it, doesn't, it doesn't look it, real. It, doesn't it looks. Look it looks like a plastic leg. But like that that scene. That it doesn't look real. It does not look real. No, no, no. Sorry, it does look no, it real. Doesn't. It, <laughs> doesn't. Yeah, it does. Like it does, but it doesn't. You know what I mean? I think it looks real as crap. No, no. Weird side. If you decide to watch Evil Dead and you see this, uh, scene, no, I mean in general. If let you're us looking, know. If you're looking for it, you will see it. I liked your facial expression. When if you, you are said looking that. for it, it will. You'll see it. Just like, do you remember Day of the Dead? Is it Day of the Dead that was in the seventies? Don't or is that or Dawn, Dawn of the, of the Dead? Dead? I don't. I can't remember. You know which one I'm talking about, right? The scene where they go, these people are. Day of the it's Dead. Like, I think it's Day of the Dead. All these people are like hiding their loved dead bodies in this like hotel, and the police are going in to get them. And the head explosion. The head explosion, but the wife sees her husband, and the husband bites her arm. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I wasn't looking for it, I thought that looked real. And, and the blood starts shooting out. It, it, it looks good. It does. Until you go back and you like, and they tell you, this is how we did it. It's now styrofoam. That, and then you go back and watch it. And now that I see it, I cannot unsee it. I'm like, that looks fake. Yeah. I don't don't go in and go, oh my God, see, it's going to look like crap. Don't go in neutral. Well, we're sad. If you decide to watch this movie, please let us know your thoughts. So, I personally would give Evil Dead 1... Nine Mm-mm. out of ten. Too high. What would it's you do? Too high. It, the IMDb score is perfect. You'd give it a seven point. Seven point four. Seven point four. Seven point four. I mean, it's fair. You know why? Because this movie, like, it's set up. I, I like to think of it as like the Alien, kind of like how like Alien and then Aliens. Like Alien is a good movie. Aliens, the sequel, is yeah. phenomenal. The same thing here. It's a good movie. 
sequel's better. Yeah. Because it, like, this movie just kind of, like, set up, like, how the rules kind of work with this whole universe that we're in. And then, two, not only, like, still keeps in that same thing, but builds upon those rules. So, even though I would rate it way higher than you would, we can both agree that this is a good movie. It's a good movie. And it gets the official weird side thumbs up. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Well, before we get into Evil Dead 2, we're going to take a quick local business shout-out break, and we will be back. Take a walk on the weird side. The first business that we want to give a local business shout-out to is the one that we always start with, Grace Upon Grace Creations. Grace Upon Grace is an online boutique, and she sells a lot of cute jewelry, t-shirts, apparel, she even does car freshies, and the scent list is endless. She can even customize the mold for you, too, possibly. She has a lot of different options on there. and She is a little delayed on her processing times at the moment, but if you decide that you do want to place an order on Grace Upon Grace Creations, if you message them your order and use the code word WEIRDSIDE, you'll get 15, that is 1-5% off your order. Our next local business shout-out is the other one that we always give a shout-out to as well, and that is Sugar and Flower. Sugar and Flower is a local bakery slash coffee shop here, and y'all, oh my gosh, so many people in our community, I think, have become addicted, just like me and Taylor, which is nice to know we're not the only ones. How can you not be addicted? Like, how can you not? But, like, right now, she has her s'mores cold brew back in season, and Oh, it was so good. We actually went the other day to go get some breakfast from Sugar and Flour, and I asked Sam when when her sugar and spice was going to be coming back out. And she said September 1st is usually when they start that. I love that. We get a whole month, extra month of the fall season and flavors. We also recently tried a new breakfast sandwich that she had. It's basically her own homemade egg McMuffin, but like It was good. It was really good. It had, it was an English muffin that had egg, originally sausage, but I omitted the sausage, uh, bacon, pepper jack cheese, and Sam's own homemade sauce, but I think it tastes kind of like mayonnaise. Oh, y'all, it was so good. Oh, it was so good. So good. But yeah, if you decide that you want a sweet and a treat, I would definitely check them out. Sugar and flour. Let me know that Taylor and Hannah from Weird Side sent you over. And our next local business shout out that we want to give a oh, check them out. Do you want me? You want me to do this one? Yeah, I'll do go this. ahead, fellas. Do you like the game? Yeah, I know I do. <laughs> Thank you, random stranger that's in here. I myself, uh, I don't think I've really talked about it on here. I myself am a old video game connoisseur. That's where my passion is. I like to collect it. I like to do that. It reminds me of my childhood. You guys now out there that does this. If you want your hands on a specific childhood memory of yours, whether that be Crash Bandicoot, The Wrath of Cortex. Oh, that's my favorite. Or, you know, you might be an NES guy and you might want Batman Return of the Joker. Batman. Mm-hmm. And you're like, how am I going to get my hands on this game? Because my mom threw it out when I was a teenager. What about Spyro? And now you're 34. Even Spyro? Of course. Oh. Well, I've got the company for you. They are called Super Game Station, located in Radford. Downtown Radford, right? Downtown Radford, right where we got married. Yeah. Yes. It's that store with all the Mario stickers up in the mm-hmm. window. Mario. If you have any gaming needs, whether it's old, new, doesn't matter. They got They're you. your guys. They got anything. They've got games from the Switch. They've even got Ataris and Odysseys. 
which is the first gaming console from the 70s. Old AF. Anything you can think of. They got it. Their hours are 12 to 7, Wednesday through Sunday. They are closed on Mondays and Tuesdays. Sounds They're not paying me to say this. I just thought they were amazing. I wanted just to <laughs> throw it out there. Yeah, currently all our local business shout-outs, we do not get paid to talk about them. But we just love them so much, we want to give shout-outs. They also have a website. You can check them out at supergamestation.com. <laughs> I was trying to do the HTTP. We will post the links below to that shop and also to Sugar and Flour and Grace Upon Grace. We love supporting local businesses, and we hope that you guys do as well. So be sure to check them out. Without further ado, we'll get back to the show. Back to it. Take a walk on the inside. Well, we're finally here. The moment you've been waiting for, Taylor. Yes. Evil Dead 2. Way better. The sequel to Evil Dead. Evil Dead 2 came out in 1987, so this is six years after the first one. The directors of Evil Dead 2 are Sam Raimi, we've got him back again, and Scott Spiegel. Spiegel. I don't know his connection to Sam Raimi, but he did help him on this film, directing it. Hmm. Evil Dead 2 was released on March 13th, 1987. Its budget was a lot higher than the first Evil Dead. The budget for this one was $3,600,000. It ended up grossing in the United States and Canada $5,923,44. And its gross worldwide was $5,924,44. So, an extra $1,000. But still, that's pretty freaking good. Yeah, it is pretty good. Evil Dead 2 was filmed in Wilmington, North Carolina. And... Wadesboro, North Carolina, and Detroit, Michigan. So they did not return to Tennessee in this one. Hmm. Body count in this one, three, but five if you include the mother and father. Mm, those don't happen on screen, so I wouldn't count them. So then three plus a hand. Plus one this is the movie where Ash loses his hand and he develops his infamous boomstick. Spoiler alert. IMDb rating for Evil Dead 2 is 7.7 out of 10. So it did score higher than the first Evil Dead. Because it is better. I love Evil Dead 2, but I just I don't love it more than the first one. But Why? I still think it's awesome. Why? Because this one's more of a horror comedy. So? There's nothing wrong with horror comedy. But when I watched Evil Dead, it kind of just set it up for me to be like a very terrifying kind of movie. And then its sequel was like funny. So I just had the love of that first film so much that... In order for me to love a second movie for this, it would have to be as equally terrifying, or if not more terrifying. That's just my personal opinion. I know you're judging me really bad right now, but I'm just I'm just answering your question. Do you smell that? Did it give me a fart again? No, it smells like a hypocrite. What do you mean a hypocrite? <laughs> to someone that likes Return of the Living Dead, which is a very terrifying movie, which is also part comedy. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not a sequel, per se. It's had sequels. Jeepers Creepers has funny aspects in it, and it's still good. Well, yeah, but I don't like the second one more than the first. I didn't say the second one, did I? You said sequels. The second one I'm just saying, sequel. in general, like, horror and comedy can go together, and they can they still can. be good movies. And Absolutely. It's, it's good. You can have funny moments. That's what makes it real. What if I just tell you I straight up just don't like Evil Dead 2 as much as the first one? Does that answer your question? You're still a hypocrite. 
you can suck my ass. <laughs> <laughs> the comedy doesn't go with the horror. Yes, it does. Now, hold up. <laughs> you just put words in my mouth. I did not put, say that. It was implied. It was implied? Your, your actions are so <laughs> no, You know what they say about assuming. You know, Makes the ass out of you and me. me. <laughs> you talk I'm just that saying, way. you can do, you can, you can be funny and scary at the same time. That way, you know, it, it's, I believe it's, I believe it's, it's better. You know what I mean? Cause like there's times where you're like, you're terrified and then there's times where it's like, <laughs> that's funny. And then it goes right back to being scary and you're switching back and forth. But just personally. Kind of like, that's why I like it so much. Cause yeah. it is terrifying, but it it's also really moments. fucking funny. Especially the remake. The remake has a lot of comedy moments. Well, I mean, it. both of them do like. Tim Curry was hilarious, yeah, and terrifying at the same time because you know there's scenes where he's like trying to eat people, but then there's also the scene where he's like sitting on the balcony going, "Do you have Prince Albert in a can? Well, you do. Well, you better let the poor guy out." Maha, maha. It's like <laughs> he's being funny. I just feel like even though you can have horror comedy and it be a very good film, I feel like comedy takes away from the horror. Like if if I watch me personally, if I want to watch a horror movie. I want to be scared. I don't want to laugh. If I'm watching a horror comedy, it's okay to have that horror element with the comedy with it. But where Evil Dead was considered a horror movie, and I, I don't know, maybe some people would say it had some kind of comedy in it because of the low budgetness. But I don't know, like that's just how I was started off on the movie. And well, it's just like Jeepers Creepers. The movie scared the petrified me. And the sequel, like you said, the, the, even the first one, there's a couple funny moments, like dialogue-wise. Second one has even more funny moments, and then they just get terrible after that. No, not those, but like the second one, you can have. I think, I think, I think being funny and scary, you gotta have the right blend, though. I think Evil Dead Two is a good blend. I would agree with that. Horror and comedy, whereas Evil Dead Three: Army of Darkness is more comedy, comedy. than horror. I, that's very fair. If you can have an even balance of both, it makes the movie better. Uh, I, I, that's very fair. Well, having said that, Evil Dead 2 is considered a black comedy horror film. I don't really know what that means, but I'm guessing that means like really dark comedy. Possibly? It is said by many people to be better than the first film, and this is also, like said earlier, evidenced by the IMDb rating. I know Taylor would agree with this. Evil Dead 2 ranked number 19 in Entertainment Weekly's list of the top 50 cult films of all time. This is Bruce Campbell's own favorite film of the Evil Dead trilogy. If that doesn't just prove that this is better, <laughs> like you're just proving my point for me. This film does not really continue from the first one. Instead, it does a brief reenactment of the first film with only Ash and Linda. But it's also considered both a remake and a sequel. I think it's nice that they give... They went over a little bit of the first movie with a bigger budget. I think that's nice. Definitely, I think it definitely does continue the story a little bit more. I like that it immediately after the whole Linda thing and like when that scene hits him in the face we actually get to see what happened after he, the camera like rushed his face well we're getting ahead of ourselves no i'm just saying like i like that a writer for pop matters is quoted for saying that evil dead 2 is quote equal parts remake and sequel the second film brought back bruce campbell as ash and was every bit as gory and horrific as the first film with more tree rape and dismemberment and blood splatters than ever on the other hand, Evil Dead 2 is also an absolutely hilarious and uproarious intentional comedy. I agree with this statement. What do you think? It's not an intentional comedy. It is a horror movie with comedy aspects. Whereas the third movie is a comedy with horror aspects. 
Stephen King was such a fan of the first film that he convinced Dino De Laurentiis, I don't know how you say his name, sorry, pronounce his name correctly, but I tried. He was the producer of Stephen King's own Maximum Overdrive to have his company finance the second film. Additionally, Dino created Rosebud, which was a separate entity from his actual production company. He created Rosebud specifically for Evil Dead 2 because his original production company could not produce an X-rated film. Evil Dead 2, however, ended up unrated, just like the first one. But Stephen King loved the film so much that he convinced the producer of his own movie to produce this one. And the producer created an own separate entity so that he could produce Evil Dead 2. And if that's not dedication, I don't know what is. That's very well done. Yes. Evil Dead 2 is the first film in the series where Ash infamously says, Groovy. Groovy. Evil Dead 2 was nominated for awards for Best Horror Film, Best Special Ah. Effects, Best Makeup, and Best Film. So getting into the plot... The film begins with a small reenactment of Ash and Linda at the cabin, with just the two of them visiting as a romantic getaway. Linda is like a ballerina and dances to Ash playing piano. Ash replays the tape of the incantation. The audio is different than the first one, but similar, and the narrative has a lighter, less scary tone, my opinion. But he replays the incantation just like in the first film, and just as in the first film, the recording awakens the demon slash evil force. Linda gets possessed, and Ash has to decapitate her. This sequence of events happens within the first five-ish minutes, so it's kind of like a quick reenactment. Also, the group of friends, Scott, Cheryl, and Shelly are not present in this at all. So, in this mini-reenactment, it's like it was just Ash and Linda going to the cabin. Yeah. The tape recorder is said to be the same one from the first film. So, I thought that was cool. I don't know if the car's used again or not. I think the car might be used again as well. Hmm. We see the Force chasing Ash just like in the end of the first film, but this time when the Force meets Ash as he turns around and screams, we see the camera follow Ash in front view as he is pushed deep into the woods. He hits a tree, falls to the ground, and briefly turns into a deadite slash demon himself, and then he then passes out for hours. When Ash wakes up, he attempts to flee the area but discovers the destroyed bridge. He turns back to the cabin as the evil force hovers over the ledge where the bridge is destroyed and begins to chase Ash. The shots in this scene are so freaking awesome. I think we see the return of the the odd angle type of perspective, but I don't know if the filming was done just like in the first one where they took a board and held it on two sides. I don't know if it was done that way in this movie. I don't think they could have done that this time because the movie, the shots. Do you remember the shot where like they're running through the house? Like Ash is running away from it. Yeah. And it's, yeah. Yeah. And it's following him and it goes through the car windows. Yeah. Yeah. That can't be done by. I wonder how they did that. I don't know, but it's, it's really well done. Ash gets into the Oldsmobile and he drives back to the cabin as the spirit chases him. At some point, Ash has to flee from the car, and he runs on foot back to the cabin, but the evil force isn't expecting him to have fled the car. It plows right through the car windows, like Taylor said, and continues heading towards the cabin. And also, like Taylor said, when Ash gets into the cabin, the force plows through the door and chases Ash throughout the house. And you're seeing in the perspective of the evil force, but it just follows Ash around all the curves and turns, and it's just a nice shot. Very well done. When Ash returns to the cabin, Linda's corpse revives as the demon deadite. After chasing Ash for a little while through the house, Ash eventually hides enough to where the force just gives up and leaves the house. 
And afterwards, Linda's corpse revives as a demon or deadite and chases Ash. Her decapitated head falls into his lap out of nowhere, and she bites him with razor-sharp teeth. In the crotch. And this is where we start to see the comedy elements of it. Just the whole scene is kind of funny and goofy, and the dialogue's a little goofy as well. But Ash has to get his hand free by taking her to the chainsaw shed and wrenching her hand off of his head. I don't know what that machine's called where, like, it's you see it in Orphan as well when she puts her wrist through it and then tightens it and it breaks her bone. I don't know what that device is called, but that's how Ash gets Linda's head off of his hand. And as he does this, Linda's decapitated corpse plows into the shed, attempting to attack him with a chainsaw. Ash overpowers her by turning the chainsaw back on herself, where she saws her own body down the middle. This is also, it's kind of a funny scene, because just out of nowhere, you just see this <laughs> decapitated corpse just plowing right through the shed. And I don't know, it's just done kind of in a goofy kind of way, I think. I think it's intended to be both. Yeah. Meanwhile, back in the cabin, Ash's bitten hand becomes possessed and he chainsaws off his own hand. The possessed hand runs away from him where Ash chases him through the house. Ash ultimately shoots the hand through the wall where a river of blood comes through the wall and covers Ash head to toe. Afterwards, it sucks back into the wall. You totally forgot the best part. What was that? When it's like crawling. And he's he's trying to hit it, and it walks back into frame and flips him yeah, off. Yeah, that's another. That was intentional. So there, yeah. There's also a scene where Ash captures the hand underneath a trash can, and he uses a stack of books to put the weight on the trash can. And one of the books we see is called "A Farewell to Arms." <laughs> I also like that the the hand has its own like it doesn't talk, but it does talk. So like it yeah, has its, its own, own like entity. <coughs> You're like a high, it, it, yeah. That's actually pretty well done. Thank you. The scene where Ash bites his hand in the kitchen was reportedly completely improv by Bruce Campbell. And Raimi liked it so much that he used it in the film. First take. While Ash is fighting off the deadites, a young woman named Annie and her partner Ed are seen departing from a plane with pages of the Necronomicon. Annie is the daughter of the archaeologist that we hear on the incantation recordings. She and Ed get to the bridge to cross over to her parents' cabin, but they discover that the bridge, of course, has been destroyed. While there, a hillbilly man and his girlfriend, named Jake and Bobby Joe, arrive to Annie and Ed, where Jake bribes Annie into taking them all to the cabin via a back trail in exchange for money. And when the group arrives, they find Ash in the cabin, completely covered head to toe in blood, but Annie's parents, of course, aren't anywhere to be seen. She infers that Ash murdered them. Ash is overpowered, and he's thrown into the cellar. The group continues listening to the enchantment where they discover that Annie's dad had to kill her mother, named Henrietta, due to Henrietta becoming a deadite. As the recording is relaying this information, Henrietta rises from the cellar floor and chases after Ash. Ash screams for help, and the group ultimately does let him out. I love that <laughs> when he goes over, he's like, yeah, I buried her in the basement cellar, and it goes a close-up to like Bruce Campbell's face, and he's like, Oh shit. oh, shit. God help her. I buried her in the cellar. Oh, fuck. Then she just bursts out. <laughs> Fun fact, did you know that Henrietta is played by Sam's brother, Ted Raimi? Really? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. And I also read that the costume and the suit for this dead eye was so heavy and hot that Ted, like, profusely sweated. Oh, I bet it. he did. And it was, like, really hot where they were filming at, too. Yeah. Yeah feel bad for the guy but just like kind of like reminds me of the godzilla suits mm -hmm. as ash comes out of the cellar henrietta follows right behind him and attacks ed 
Ed then becomes a deadite and hovers off of the ground with an eerie warning and message, just like with Cheryl's possession in the first film. Ed glides over to Bobby Joe and eats a piece of her hair off. There's also a gnarly scene where Henrietta's eyeball pops out and lands in Bobby Joe's mouth. Fun fact, that scene was shot in reverse. Yeah. I, I think such cool shots are done in reverse. Like That's pretty cool. That is, I thought that was cool. And Ash attacks Ed and dismembers him with an axe. This possession scene does not scare me as much as the first film with Cheryl, but it's still creepy. He's creepy. When he's eating her hair, that's creepy as fuck. Well, how he like covers, we are the ones that were and shall be again. Like it just. Yeah, it's cool. Ooh, it's creepy. We are the things that were and shall be again. (laughs) In the next scene, we see Bobby Joe running through the woods where she gets attacked. Thankfully, this is not a tree rape scene, but a possessed tree branch does wrap itself around her ankle and drags her at high speed through the woods. She ultimately crashes into a tree with the scene ending right when she's about to make contact with the tree. Yep. Back at the cabin, Annie tries to translate some of the passages from the Necronomicon, but Jake snatches them and throws them into the cellar with Henrietta. He demands that they all go out and find Bobby Joe. Ash is trying to warn him, like, dude, she's a goner. Don't even. I like this because. I like this because panic. And, like, this would happen in a real-life situation. I really think it would. Like, everybody's on the same page. Like, yeah, there's going to be that one person that fucks it up for everybody because they can't see the bigger picture. And sure enough, yeah. As they are outside, they have no choice. Ash randomly becomes possessed again and attacks Jake. Annie retreats to the cabin and locks herself inside. In the midst of her trying to protect herself, she accidentally stabs Jake as he attempts to retreat into the cabin, thinking that it was Ash. As she attempts to help Jake, Henrietta reaches for him through the cellar door, grabs him, and eats him whole. I'm glad he died. I didn't like that guy. He was annoying. And as Henrietta is killing Jake, blood just blasts through the cellar door. Like, there's so much fake blood used in this movie. Maybe more than the first one. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And just kind of like in the beginning of the film when we see Ash kind of temporarily become possessed, this is essentially what he does again. And it's... Very strange, and I don't really know why he doesn't become, like, full demon or not. Like, he just randomly will become possessed for a little bit, and then he'll come back to normal. And he constantly does that. Ash is never fully and permanently possessed. Maybe because his will is stronger, perhaps? Perhaps one could make that argument. Ash then makes it back into the cabin while he's still possessed. He and Annie fight one another, and then suddenly Ash is back to his normal self again. After Annie realizes that Ash is not possessed anymore, she tells him that the rest of the pages of the Necronomicon are locked into the cellar. She says that she needs them to close the portal from their world to ours. Ash reluctantly goes into the cellar to retrieve them, and he ultimately kills Henrietta. Okay, now if it's me, I'd be like... The claymation in her head, like... Turns into some weird type of... Yeah, like, I like that. That was cool. I was like, oh, that's cool. It was cool, but, like, I don't know how to describe it. She was... Full-on demon, creepy demon. And then she turns into some kind of, like, long-necked giraffe elephant monkey chanting thing. He, you're, you're forgetting the biggest part. That, 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 the original setup. And that is, there's no fucking rules no when rules. these motherfuckers possess you. There are no rules. Yeah. They can, when they possess something, they can do whatever they want. Well, the rule that has to be consistent, you have to be... Well, you prefer the term stabbed in some well, kind of way. people-wise, when it comes to objects, no, they don't. They can just possess an object, which is one of the best scenes that you skipped over. 
whenever Ash is like standing and like the lamp and all the stuff starts like laughing at him, especially mm-hmm. the deer head when it like jerks. That's and it's, like, creepy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and everything starts laughing. I like that. That was yeah, cool. I did skip over that scene. That was earlier in the movie after Ash has to saw off his own hand. Yeah, there's just there's He's no rules. Basically. And when Ash is preparing to go down in wait, is it is it when he prepares? Is it when he prepares to go down and get the pages that he puts the chainsaw on, or is it when they're doing the final incantations? That I he think puts it's it on? before he, that he goes down into the cellar because that's like this is back where we're at plot wise. Dude, you know that creepy ass demon is down in that cellar but your only chance of survival is to go in the same spot what would you do put a chainsaw on my arm is pull cool. ash <laughs> groovy groovy yeah that's when he says groovy after he gets he fashions like a his arm to hold the chainsaw and then he's got a, a sawed off shotgun a sawed off shotgun and his other weapon and then it like closes in, and he's got a white streak through his hair too, which I think just emphasized the stress of the the situation that he's going through. But after he gets all geared up and is a total badass hero, it zoom, the camera zooms into his face and pauses for a minute. He just goes groovy. <laughs> I love it. After Ash goes into the cellar, kills Henrietta, he tosses the passages to Annie, where she begins to translate and recite the full passage. As she's doing this, the trees surrounding the cabin become possessed and begin to attack the cabin. A portal opens and begins to suck in objects from around the cabin, such as trees, objects from the house, and Ash's car even. In the middle of reciting this passage, Annie is stabbed by Ash's possessed hand and she dies. Since she dies, unable to finish the incantation, the portal gets a hold of Ash and sucks him into this other dimension. And it's This is also a really funny scene, the way it's shot, like... You think that something like this would be horrifying, but instead it has a comedic twist to it because it starts to play that violin sounding music, mm-hmm. the strings. I like when he's fighting the trees and he's like stabbing the trees and like blue, blue blood is coming out of the trees. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. All these effects are seem practical, but they're it's a really cool scene. You're also forgetting... Um, they're talking about the champion of the past at some point in the movie. I don't remember when it is, but they're talking about it. Oh, I think we're getting ready to get to it, maybe. Well, it was earlier in the movie they talk about oh. a person that's in the past that was like, oh, that was took down the, the Deadites. Yeah, and the translation. And you see a guy standing there, and he has something on his arm, and he's holding something. And then this scene happens where he gets sucked into the dimension. And you go ahead, and then I'll, I'll finish. Um, Side note. Before we go into the next scene, the dagger used to stab Annie is the same one that they used from the first film. So here's another object they're reusing, which I think is cool. Ash lands with his Oldsmobile in what appears to be a desert during daylight time. We see a group of knights dressed in armor run towards him, and we also see a flying deadite in the air. Ash shoots the deadite with his boomstick, making the deadite's head explode. The men in armor are in awe. And then a knight pulls down his face shield and says, All hail to he who comes from the sky to deliver us from the Tower of the Deadites. The camera pans away from Ash as the group of knights chant, Hail! Towards Ash, the camera zooms in, and he is groaning in agony. The screen goes black. So that scene where he's standing there and the knights are like chanting to him, like, Hail, 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 hail. That's the same picture that you see in the beginning when... They're like talking the about the champion of the past. This is going to hurt your head when you really think about it. 
but the future made Ash so he could go back in the past and save the past. It's kind of confusing in but the it's, future. But it's freaking awesome. So the future's the past's hero is in the future so he can save the past to make the future so he can be born again and constantly keep repeating the process. If that makes your eyes squint, don't worry. It's not just you. I mean, it, like, that's what it is. It, I mean, you're right. You're right. Fun fact, the knight who's saying, oh, hell, he who delivers us, that's actually Sam Raimi. Huh. Yep. And that is Evil Dead 2. Way better movie. It is a awesome movie. I love Evil Dead 2. But like I've said many times, I, I just don't rate it above the first one. Wrong. I love it. Shut up. <laughs> I would probably give this you one. Did. I would give this one like a 7.5 to 8 out of 10. What would you give it? It's a solid 8.5. Yeah. But either way, it gives the official weird side thumbs up. Double thumbs up. Yep. So we hope you enjoyed listening about Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2. Any hardcore Deadite fans, if you want to let us know how we did on these episodes, we'd love to hear your comments and feedback. And as always, I'm Hannah. And I'm Taylor. And together we are Weird Side Side Podcast. Podcast. Groovy.